headstones. If you're a fan of this podcast, you probably love them or you have a respect for them. You know how many important things that we can learn by studying them. Culture, art, history, genealogy, so many things about a place and the people that lived there. Today, we have an interview with Rachel Meyer from Epic Preservation, and we're so excited to get into this amazing field of preserving headstones. Thanks for joining us today. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Files, I'm your host, Lachelle. I know it's been a minute since we've released an episode. Thank you so much for your patience while I have been out sick. But I'm so excited to be with you today and to bring you this super fun and informative, amazing episode with Rachel Meyer. She and her partner, Josh, make up Epic Preservation. They are a gravestone preservation company in Massachusetts, and they do amazing work. Resetting stones, giving workshops, repairing them, cleaning, and helping these amazing historic stones to be around for hopefully another hundred years. Hi, Rachel. It's so awesome to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Lachelle. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's the end of our season, so I am doing a lot of office work and not a lot of outside work, so different vibe. Yeah, yeah, totally different. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Josh. Yeah, so Josh and I are partners. We own Epic Preservation, which is a newly incorporated, so I guess not own. Once you incorporate, you don't own your business anymore, your employees, so that's a that's a strange shift, but... Wow. I know it's a it's it sounds kind of small, but it's weird when you're like, now I'm not nope, not owners. <laughs> but um, so we run Epic Preservation, which is a gravestone conservation in Massachusetts. We focus mainly on gravestones in southern New Hampshire, Essex County, and the Boston area. And we've been doing this for about eight years. We became a business five years ago, so it seems like we've survived that. That saying that most businesses don't survive their first five years because mm. we're surviving. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so our focus is on restoring historic gravestones. We rarely work with brand new stones, but occasionally. And uh, yeah, it's what we love to do. It's so awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds? Yeah. Just what else do yeah. you do? N nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you, if you consider yourself a business owner, but when you're a business owner, there's nothing else that you do. It's a 24-7 lifestyle, and I would be lying. Even my friendships are are more like uh, collaborations and like, you know, I don't think I have any friends that don't love cemeteries, not a single one. So not, I don't do anything else. I do have like a few, I do have a few hobbies. I, I, uh, you know, I'm a writer, so I write and perform poetry sometimes. And I love it. Make art sometimes, but those are very, very seldom things now that I have this business. But so our backgrounds, my background is mostly in museums. I study geology and legal studies in college. So my educational background sort of lends itself to this kind of work where I have to fight for cemeteries and also need to work with the stones themselves. Josh has more of a, um, Josh studied philosophy. Oh. So if you need to have a good ranting conversation about something philosophical, he's your guy. <laughs> <laughs> and mostly before we did this, he was doing a lot of, um, he's a vegan chef. 
certified vegan chef. So he's working in a vegan restaurant oh. and uh, doing a lot of landscaping, which of course also lends itself to this sort of work. So you want to surround yourself with people who aren't exactly like you. Sure. You know, that's where the strength is, you know? Yeah, so true. So tell us how Epic Preservation got started in the first place. What was the first project that made all of this happen and made you guys go, you know what? Let's do this. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I have to be honest. My life is pretty meandery. <laughs> so, so like any story, this story is kind of meandering, too. That's where... great. No problem. <laughs> so it starts a little bit back before we were a business. But, yeah, mm -hmm. about eight years ago, I was writing a novel in a month. And um, I was at the end of the novel and I'm editing it now. So it's kind of, it's interesting to revisit. At the end of the novel, the last chapter takes place in a cemetery. And so I had to do, you know, I needed some inspiration. And so I Googled cemetery, you know, historic cemetery Gloucester. And it brought us to a site that became our first project because it was so overgrown when we got there and full of all kinds of, all kinds of things and destroyed gravestones. So that was our first project we did that for two years and then at the end of the two years you know we had enough volunteers that were from Gloucester that they could start a cemetery commission that didn't exist before and so here we are with all these skills we took stone conservation classes you know we had a lot of experience like this this uh, project the first one remains the hardest thing we've ever done so everything else is like a cakewalk so after that project was over, I know wow. it's, it's, you know, it's beneficial to the people who call us going, you're not going to believe the state of our cemetery. And I'm like, yeah, I will. Like, no worries. I've seen pretty much the worst. So we had all these skills and I don't know, I wanted to go do some volunteer work up in Newbury because they have beautiful gravestones there. And, you know, I, you know, I had plenty of energy left. And so when we got to Newbury, we just absolutely hit it off with the owners of the church, you know, owners, you know what I mean? The congregation of the church, we hit it off with them. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you know, we actually have this grant and we've been sitting on this grant for a while and we have no one to give it to. Would you be interested in taking this grant? And we're like, oh man, we're just, we're just people, you know? But they were like, and also we mm -hmm. prefer you have insurance. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's fine too. So I guess we need to start a business. So um, that's how we started our business. It was strictly out of necessity. We didn't wake up one day and go, let's start a business. Let's call it this. Let's do this. It was, it's very passion led. It's, we want to do this. We want to save this place. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do to save this place? I will do anything. And that anything was starting a business. So, wow. yeah, that's how it started. So take us back to that first cemetery. So you're just writing a book. You walk into the cemetery and you're like, it's completely destroyed. I mean, how did you get from, okay, it's completely destroyed to, we're the ones that are going to completely fix it? You know, I was riding the confidence of writing a novel. <laughs> you know, I kind of felt like I could do anything, right? <laughs> and, yeah. But also, it felt like sort of a divine intervention. It was, I was working at uh, the Sergeant House Museum. I was the site administrator there. And when we finally got into the cemetery and were able to look at the burying ground, it was the oldest one in Gloucester. When we got in there, we were able to read some of the names mm. when we finally got, when we were finally able to approach the stones. And I recognized all of them from my work. And oh, wow. No one I know has the knowledge of these people, but also the technical skills to. Fight. Like I come from a background of social advocacy. You know, I've worked for a lot of nonprofits as art director, you know, fighting for causes. So I felt like if there was anyone who was going to save this cemetery, it was going to be me because I'm so headstrong. Oh, I love that. I mean, you know, what's kind of funny is I had just met a friend on Craigslist personals. You remember when they had Craigslist personals? Oh, yeah. It was like, it was like a friends only type of personal thing. And um, I just met her maybe the week before we hung out once. We were talking about our novels and I messaged her 
like right after I found this burying ground, I messaged her and I said, who wants an adventure? And she didn't even <laughs> stutter. She was like, I do. So really <laughs> in the beginning, it wasn't just me and Josh. It was also Crystal who ended up being like my absolute best friend. Aww. And we sort of just gathered volunteers from there because we're just so willing to give, give, give. Mm-hmm. that I think other people were like, wait, I want to give too. Yeah. And so we had quite the robust uh, volunteer group at that first project. Oh, wow. I mean, where did you even begin? I mean, I know you were like, we don't know what we're doing, so we need to take some classes. There was that. I mean, I mean, we didn't even not know what we were doing. <laughs> we also didn't have any money. Like we had nothing. We were so broke. Right. And you know, we're we're you know, Josh is painting the house that we live in. We live in a historic house, and uh, <laughs> he's painting it. And I'm <laughs> running up to him, and I'm like, Josh, I can't, I can't let this place go. We need to figure out how to, you know, weed whack some paths to these gravestones because no one can even approach them. I mean, it wasn't Lachelle. It wasn't until like two weeks later that we found out there was a whole other cemetery behind it that was just a jungle. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't see the entrance. Oh, wow. So it wasn't just this original burying ground that we ended up doing this to. It was also like a a Victorian cemetery, like a small cemetery behind it. Oh, wow. And so not a penny to our name. We're scouring through our garage looking for scythes. I mean, we didn't have a weed whacker. <laughs> we were like, we, you know, we hand, we hand, you know, pruned everything. Uh, oh my Josh gosh. is running through First Parish with a scythe like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> and and just members of the public are like, oh my God, do you want our weed whacker? Do you want, what can we do to make this better? And it just so happened that there was a kind of like a burying ground group that was part of the historical commission who had been just fed up and they had ordered some goats and we didn't know about these goats. And it was just as we were getting started, they were like, oh my God, we just spent a fortune on these goats and now you're here and you actually want to do the work and we don't know what to do. And I was like, well, I say we keep the goats. So our like, first couple of months, we had goats with us for, for like two weeks or Maybe it was just like half a week at first because in the middle of the night, there was a nor'easter. We're in Gloucester. There was a nor'easter that blew through <laughs> and the goats needed to be saved oh. in the middle of the night. And the poor lady oh, who no. rented the goats was like, I'm never doing this again. And I was like, oh, but I am. So like the next year we had goats again. <laughs> like, we just couldn't, we couldn't stop with these goats. Like, so we didn't have money for weed whackers, but we did have a, we did have a goat infestation for a while. <laughs> I, it was like, magic. The goats. Oh my God. They're so, I don't know if you, if you know much about goats, but they're a lot like dogs where they will like, they will like cling to you. They're, they're very like, I love you. They're very social. Oh. So they'll only eat the overgrowth in places where people are visiting them. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're thinking they're going to eat all the overgrowth, but they're really not. They're going to eat it where that cute little kid is. They're like, yeah. <laughs> so you needed kind of a minder, like, all right, now go stand over here. Yeah. Now go stand over here. <laughs> I mean, we were so concerned because the back of a lot of these cemeteries have a fairly decent size unhoused community, which, you know, either way, we can work alongside people, alongside people who don't have homes. That's okay. But we were mm-hmm. concerned for the goats. We were like, oh my God, someone's going to let the goats free. I don't know. We didn't know we were going to walk into on any given moment, but um, the goats were always there. They were fine. Nobody, nobody did anything to any goats and they seemed to coexist back there. So, (laughs) (laughs) which I guess worked for an already broken down cemetery, but I read one of your posts that said, you know, actually goats aren't always the best idea oh no no i have a lot of lachelle this podcast could just be about goats like if you let me this just talk about goats <laughs> like they will like they'll headbutt gravestones so we don't now if you we our solid advice is don't put goats in with gravestones because they'll climb up on them especially the little yeah. babies they'll headbutt them but we didn't know we didn't know they didn't do any like 
irreparable damage to anything, but we definitely, right. are, you don't want your cemetery smelling like a barnyard. You don't, mm -hmm. you know, you're, the goats are covered in poison ivy if you have poison ivy and people are going to want to hug them afterwards. Like, there's just like a whole list of things yeah. that when people are like, should I, should I let the goat company keep a pack of a herd of goats in my cemetery? <laughs> my answer is... Well, if your cemetery is so bad off that it really needs a publicity stunt like ours did, yeah. I mean, yeah, just not in with the gravestones. But otherwise, maybe use that money and hire people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, use the money, get a weed whacker. Yeah. Uh, that is kind of funny, actually. <laughs> we do have a weed oh, whacker now. We have... We have leveled up a little bit since, <laughs> since then. <laughs> you have all the things, but this was at the very beginning and you were just trying things out and hey, yeah. why not? I think back on that project a lot and I think, wow, that was so hard. But the friendships that I made during that, you know, the bonding that that occurs when two people are facing adversity and overcoming it is like inseparable. You're friends mm -hmm. for life. And I just have so many friends like yeah. Brendan O'Brien from, uh, I think you would consider him yield burying grounds on Instagram. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a dear, dear friend of ours that started as a volunteer at that project Aww. and where, and you know, we now go down to Rumney Marsh where he's taken on a lot of responsibility there since our project and do work there. So, you know, we stay connected with all of these people. That's really great. Just not the goats. Just not the goats. I haven't seen the goats since. Oh, <laughs> they probably miss you. <laughs> they probably do. <laughs> so how many headstones do you think you guys restored in that first cemetery? Not too many because really we started restoring some the gravestones at the end of the project because the larger part of the project was that it was completely overgrown. Yeah. So it was a two and a half acre site that was just full on the edges of staghorn sumac, which is stubborn. Mm -hmm. And then just the worst weed you can imagine, Japanese knotweed. Oh. Which if you're like in England, you can't even sell your house if you have Japanese knotweed. And we have really? like an acre of it. Oh. And it is stubborn like if you cut japanese knotweed and you even have a pea-sized amount like stuck to your shoe you can it'll grow in your yard you know like you have to be so careful whoa it's really bad it's kind of pretty like bamboo but it's it's not good stuff to have infesting your your cemetery it's you know hard to yeah. keep down so a lot of our early work probably the first year and a half was just trying to keep the overgrowth down and you know getting rid of giant vines of poison ivy going up to the canopies of the trees and there was a really bad problem in the back where people were overdosing um, wow and so just even cleaning trying to clean up the syringes and the bottles and all of that uh. like it, that took that took a majority of the time and it wasn't really till the end that we even had time to start conserving the gravestones. But when we did, it was like we hit the ground running. We hired some awesome teachers. Well, I would love pictures. Oh, I will send you some. Of your first project. But now I know that you guys are working in some of the oldest and most famous burial grounds in New England. Yeah. How did how did we even get here? You know what I mean? Like, how did this I, even happen? I know. You know, I think we just have really big hearts. And I think that people could hire a legit, like, well-established corporation to come in. But we live here. You know, this is our home. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see our cultural heritage doing well. I want to tell the stories of the people in my community, both the ones in the cemetery and ones that never got gravestones. And I want to... You know, I'm descended from a lot of these people and I don't talk a lot about my personal heritage because it's not about me to me, mm -hmm. but, you know, I feel very connected to these places. So we are excellent conservators. You know, we follow the Secretary of the Interior standards. But on top of that, you know, you're going to make friends with us. You know, if you're inviting us into our site, we're going to do everything we can to make you feel included, to get you excited about your site, to share your stories you know we're we're more than just a business we are sort of torchbearers for these places and we take that pretty seriously you know i love that 
And so after the second job where they wanted to give you the grant and, and you worked on that, like, how did it keep going? Did people become aware of that job? And then it just kind of kept rolling forward. Do they just call you? Like, how does this all happen? If anybody would be listening for a formula, I don't have it. Right. Just your story. <laughs> That's all I got. But like Newbury, we still do stuff in Newbury. Like every client that we've ever had, we continue to have to this day. So, you know, we live in Ipswich, which is known as the best preserved town in America. It has uh, the largest number of first period houses in this country, which are houses built before 1725. Wow. So it's a place that takes its history seriously. And we live down the street from one of the oldest burying grounds in the country. Newbury, up the street where we were working, is tied with Dorchester as like the oldest. Yeah, so, so, but it's all like this technical thing where you're, you're older by like a year. So, you know, in Ipswich is the same thing. We have a cemetery, a burying ground here established in 1636. <laughs> and of course, you know, we're out there teaching workshops, trying to get volunteers to help clean gravestones all around wow. Ipswich. And so then Ipswich was, was our next natural client. So we started working in Ipswich at the beginning of our business and we've conserved over 300 gravestones at Old North and Ipswich. So um, that was our next step was our own backyard, you know? Wow. Yeah. And then it just went from there. You know, we do, I'm, I'm good at, not just good at, I love bringing people into my work. Uh, it's not just like, I'll never be that person with a million Instagram followers or, mm -hmm. you know, that I don't see that for myself, but I'm somebody who has a small group of followers and supporters who would do anything for the cemeteries and our burying grounds. So those are the people who end up yeah. hiring us and the people who end up telling their, you know, their DPW about us. It isn't, it isn't some big marketing scheme where you, I've yeah. never paid for marketing ever. I've never put out an ad. That's amazing. The marketing does itself because we're just so open to people. Tell us about how you were called to help save some grads, the gravestones found during an excavation in a Jewish cemetery. Oh yeah, JCAM. So the Jewish Cemetery Association of Massachusetts owns, I don't know, 100, 200 graveyards in Massachusetts. Yeah, and so this is after we've done Oh wow. Rebecca Nurse Homestead, um, you know, just a whole variety of different sort of high profile projects that we've worked on. So they reached out to us. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not sure they really reached out to us initially because of these two cemeteries, but I think they were trying to find something for us to do with them. And then they wandered on this 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 hill in the back of one of their cemeteries and they started excavating it and they found just a jumbled mess of gravestone parts. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they took all the parts out and somebody cleaned them up. They do have a conservation team. It's not just us. We're with JCAM. There are like some really good workers there. Mm -hmm. So they clean them up and then they were just like, I don't know what to do. Like, this is a lot of, this is a, this is a big puzzle. Yeah. So they called us up in and we made sense of the puzzle. We decided what configuration we wanted the gravestones to go in because they're no longer marking graves. Right. And then we, if, if they were missing large pieces, we poured those pieces, you know, if they had all their pieces, we put them together and it's, completely wow. obviously it's completely different because all we had was a, a pile of rubble and now it looks like a legitimate cemetery right yeah so that's sons of benjamin and then sherry jerusalem was a bunch of gravestones that were found while clearing a wooded area and so we did oh. something similar to those and yeah and so we plan on being back next year i don't think we have any clients that we don't unless we actually finish the cemetery which does happen occasionally we're all, we always get mm -hmm. called back. You know, it's like an ongoing relationship yeah. with people that we have. So I'm looking forward to whatever, whatever's happening in the Jewish cemeteries. I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out what the next, next piece of the puzzle is. Right. Well, I love seeing the pictures of the stones that you guys put back together. And it really is amazing. It, it is like a puzzle. You can see how there's just 
so many broken pieces on some of them and it touches my heart and I could see loving to be involved with something like this just because of how I feel about cemeteries as well. You know how if you had a puzzle and you were missing a piece, you'd throw out the whole puzzle? I think in a way we're lucky because we have the skills to create that missing piece. Right. So for for us, it almost doesn't matter how broken up a gravestone is. We will really try our best sure. to put it back together unless it's so, so... Um, you know, disrespectful that it should have a replacement, but yeah. it's, I feel lucky that we have these skills that we can, we can use to, you know, sort of mm -hmm. satiate our need for adventure. And, you know, it's great. <laughs> well, like I said, in the intro, there's so much that we learn from cemeteries and, you know, this is preserving history and also helping people with genealogy. There's so much that people can learn and find out about their families. And so it's, you know, it's really important, I think, to preserve them. I mean, yeah, I think of them as, as accessible art museums, first of all. You know, you don't need to pay admission to walk through a cemetery and admire the carvings. They're definitely genealogical records. Yeah. And I think as genealogical records, it sort of it furthers uh, the need to in transcribe their inscriptions so that genealogical information isn't ever missing if something were catastrophic were to happen to the site. In the sense of being museums, sure. they are interpretive objects. You know, the gravestones themselves can be used to tell many different stories. Every person in that graveyard had a, mm -hmm. had a story. And... It just as notably, the people who are not in that graveyard had a story. You know, there are lots of slaved, enslaved people that never got proper burials. In fact, 99.9% oh, yeah. of them. Sure. And that's a story to tell. Look, who's also yeah. not here. We've actually told that story several times on the podcast. Yeah, who's not here? Yeah. Yeah. It's... And where are they? You know, there was all of these people who lived in this area or this home you know that has a private cemetery where where are all the enslaved people buried where were they buried well there is a follow-up question that you should be asking about why harvard has so many remains of enslaved people hmm. you know i think yeah some of them were buried probably with their with their enslavers some probably buried um in you know the in the in the property but also mm -hmm. There was a time in our history where people were pretty desperate for cadavers for medical schools. And, oh yeah, you know, I don't think people think a lot about how, how easy it would be to use somebody who is overlooked as something yes. to experiment on and nobody would ever say anything about them being missing. So I'm not right. saying that that's what happened to a lot of enslaved people or even a majority, but Harvard does absolutely have the remains of enslaved people in their collection. Wow. There's a really great story about that and a specific person. We did an interview with Newbury, Connecticut cemetery tour guide, and he told this amazing story about his grave says the man named Fortune, and it was an enslaved man whose owner was a doctor and he made his body into a skeleton so that he could, you know, after he passed away and kept his skeleton to teach medical students. And then it went to like the college. And after a while, it was just like in this attic or storage. And um, anyway, a group of people finally figured out like who is this skeleton person like should they you know have a proper burial and they figure out that it was this enslaved man named fortune and they gave him the most beautiful funeral and the mayor you know walked through town with the cortege and they bury him and he has a headstone and he's there in Newbury Connecticut Cemetery and anyway, it just, I loved that story that there was this wrong that happened, but people now were passionate about helping it be made right. 
Yeah. I mean, it's 2022. You know, we should have some insight by now about what happened to people in the past and mm-hmm. how some of us have benefited from the things that have happened to people in the past. You know, knowingly or, or wantingly doesn't really matter. And we do have an obligation, mm-hmm. I feel, to tell their stories. You know, there are very few marked graves for enslaved people. You know, these names, they're not these people's names, right? You know, there, there's a lot of Scipios and and, you know, these sort of condescending names that people gave enslaved people that are absolutely not their names. So in Newburyport, there is also a person buried named Fortune on the side of the hill in their old burying ground. And I can't remember who his enslaver was. It it actually listed on the gravestone. And I think that the gravestone was made after he died. Like, I don't think it was, you know, a down the line sort of thing, but it's very rare that you see gravestones for enslaved people. You know, here in Ipswich, there's a mm-hmm. unmarked burying place that once had some old gravestones according to historical books, but now just really has a boulder with a old with a old like metal plaque on it that goes into, you know, this is this is the congregation of Leslie Road, which is now Rowley, and also Scipio. They're they're a slave and it's like, oh well. Well, I guess that's another grave found, but what about all the other people enslaved in, in our area? Where are they? And, you know, I think we now have a, um, right. we now have a responsibility to honor them. We're not going to know where they are. So in Ipswich, and I don't speak as a historical commission member, of course, here, but I'm our vice chair of our, our historical commission, and we just voted the other day unanimously to name a previously unnamed park in Ipswich after a woman named Jenny Slew, who was the first woman to sue for and win her freedom. And... Oh, I love that. Boy, did she have an interesting story. Like, if you want to hear a story, she she was half white. I believe her mother was white, not enslaved. She was not an enslaved woman. Just a regular, you know, regular woman at the time would have been called mulatto in Ipswich, who was then just claimed. Sure. She was just claimed by the Whipple family. They just took her. Claimed. She's my slave now. What? She was not enslaved. And then in her uh. in her 40s, they took her. They just are like, she is now our slave. And so, of course, Jenny, not being born into slavery. What? Like, right after her was Mom Betts, who was, who was a lifelong slave. But Jenny... She she went and she sued for her freedom, but the court said, but you're married, so you do not own yourself. Uh. Like, not only was she enslaved, she was also a woman, and we forget how hard it was just to even be a woman. Mm-hmm. So you don't own yourself. Your husband needs to file this lawsuit for you. And she was like, but my husband is black, and that changed everything, because then her marriage wasn't seen as a legal entity. Uh, so she was able to sue for her own freedom on just the, just, you know, just a little hoop loophole that she was married to a person of color and therefore it wasn't legally a marriage. Was she her own person in that right? Like what a dizzying, dizzying situation. Right. So she did win her freedom and there aren't any, there's no gravestone for her here. She was black enough to be enslaved, but not black enough to be married to a black man. I mean, that makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that any, I don't think that any marriage at that point between two black people was considered legitimate. Like I, Oh really? It's just such a weird loophole that, you know, being of African descent was her saving grace in this moment. And it's just, I mean, just the, you know, if you look too hard at this story, it'll make you just want to cry for being female. It'll make you want to cry for people who are, you know, racial minorities, like it's too much. But she did win, and we don't have any memorials for her. She didn't have a gravestone, of course. I don't even know if she was buried or died in Ipswich. But she will have a park if it goes through the select board and all the other obstacles it needs. It's already passed through us, the historical commission. But you know, there are a few other things that need to happen for it to happen. You know? Yeah, that. Wow, that is a wild story. I really also on this same topic, I loved your project of last year where you restored the African-American section of Howard Street Cemetery in Salem, Mass. 
Yeah. I mean, we call it the African-American section with some hesitation. You know, we work with mm -hmm. some black history groups and, you know, not everybody's on the same page about what labels to use for people or for themselves. You know, these, sure. these, some of these people are a product of, of being, you know, kidnapped from their countries and are not, sure. you know, didn't really want to be African-American, but also, I don't know, I just had this long conversation about why do we need to say somebody's African-American when they're just really American or, you know, anyway. So sure. w w without the long, without the long conversation, that really makes me feel dizzy afterwards. And I never land on the right end, you know, the, the right answer. For sure. But yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a segregated section. This is a small lot of land that was set apart, given by the city of Salem for the burial of, I, I think they called them, colored people I don't remember what they called them back at that point and strangers so people who maybe came here on ships and died here and didn't have any family so was also this section yeah well yeah they're kind of buried along the edge of the section that like the 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 black people buried there are definitely segregated so gotcha and they're not related to one another except for like two sisters but so this isn't a case of people being like, this is the African-American section. This is where we want our people to be buried. It was a case of the city of Salem saying, this is where you need to be buried. Yeah. So it literally juts out from the back of the cemetery. The cemetery is a rectangle. And then this little thing juts out on the back. And so when I was, I used to be the stone conservator for the city of Salem. I worked for the cemetery department for two years. Okay. And when I was working at Howard Street, I would sort of jump from one burying ground to the next. It'd be, you know, I'd be abroad, then I'd do Howard. And, you know, I would spend like six weeks at each during the summer. Mm -hmm. And so I was at Howard and I, you know, posted on my social media, okay, I'm going over to Howard Street now. And I got a few messages that were like, do you know about Venus? Anyway, so I received a few messages that were like, do you know about Venus? She's in the corner. Her stone is broken. You got to do something about it. And so I went back there and there were actually a few gravestones back there. And I had left the job because I was kind of being forced to work by myself. And a lot of these projects really, I need help. Like these aren't one person situations, you know, sometimes I need a hoist and somebody needs to help me operate it. Like, uh -huh. you know, but I couldn't let this project sleep. So you know, a couple years ago, I started going, I gotta, I gotta get back to the segregated section and do something about it. So we went through all of the, the different hurdles that you have to go through in order to repair a place. And we've repaired it last year. And now Andrew Carr, who you've had on your podcast. Yeah. A couple days ago, we met with the cemetery commission in Salem to seek approval for a replacement marker for patients jointer who is the sister of Venus Chu, who is that original person that was brought to my attention. Okay. Because we found out she had a burying place there, but no marker left after doing some research. And so it already passed unanimously through the Salem Historical Commission a couple weeks before. And so a couple days ago, it passed unanimously through the Cemetery Commission. Awesome. So I know, which is great. Like we're making real progress. So next it goes to the Mass Historical Commission. Wow. Which is a whole other sort of set of things that we need to go through. It isn't, you know, a Andrew doesn't have like the background of historic preservation in the same way that I do. He's an artist. Mm -hmm. So I find myself often being like, okay, they said yes, but this isn't, this isn't the end of it. You know, it's, right. this is actually kind of a long process and we need to stick with the whole process and one no is no, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can get to the end and be, you can be utterly disappointed, but I don't think we will be because this is very just, you know, her grave does need to be marked. So sure. Is he going to help carve one? Is he going to help carve a headstone? Yeah. He designed a replacement based on Venus Chu's existing gravestone, which is her sister. And so he's ready to carve it. You know, we need to go wow. for a grant and, you know, because, yeah. you know, we want to hire him, not just, mm -hmm. I'm sure he would give anything, you know, but I don't think that's right. Sure. So he did design a gravestone. And if it's all yeses and we have to do a little bit of archaeology, if we find out more information while we're in the ground, we're going to have to adjust our course and, you know, maybe install it in a different place or, you know, redesign it if we find out some more design information. But it's sort of a, a you know, see how it goes situation. But one way or the other, we're going to mark Patience Jointer's grave and we want Andrew to mark it 
for us. So he's so he's very talented. Yeah. Oh, he's so talented. Yeah, he's really um, watched his entire gravestone career. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unfold, and he's so capable. Sure. I mean, there's no other sure. word for him than just capable. Like anything you put in front of him, he'll figure out how to do and not just do but do meticulously Mm -hmm. it's kind of mind-blowing I'm so glad that I chose him for this project you know how fun that you guys are friends yeah I mean we've known each other a while for a few years and um you may know this already we met at a historical commission meeting I that's where the cool kids hang out you know we we just go to the historical commission. <laughs> we just we just get dressed up and go. I don't feel very cool right I mean, now. I think, I think you need to go online and find out when your next historical commission meeting is. <laughs> I think that's so. where all the rad people are. So that's right. We met at a historical commission meeting. We didn't really quite meet there. He was um, advocating for a building that I think he may have kind of grown up around that he dreamt of turning into an art studio, but but it was a barn, but it was really just way too far gone. Like sort of by the time it got to this point, it was like a hopeless case. Like it, it it had been allowed to degrade and become dilapidated and there wasn't much to it anymore. And it's very sad, but Uh, yeah. So it was kind of a no win situation, which made me like him even more because Mm -hmm. I mean, you have some dealing, he's, he's, he has a shyness to him. So the idea that this guy got up oh, yeah. in front of this entire room of people to plead for this barn was just instantly like you have you have my devotion. Like I want to help you. So immediately afterwards, yeah. You know, I got up and I was like he probably remembers this differently cuz I I think, I don't know if he's very happy about it, but I got up afterwards and I was like, (laughs) you know, we can't just allow things to go into ruin. You can't break people's hearts. You know, you can't, we can't allow buildings to get to the point where they're no longer able to be fought for. I mean, this is obviously a lost cause and you, this person's the new owner of this site and you do at some point need to let her off the hook because there's nothing she can do, but what can we do ahead of time to not get it to the point where people are feeling like their hearts are being torn out? And so mm-hmm. he, so we actually never spoke during that. He left and, you know, if he hadn't left, I probably would have run after him and tried to make him my instant, mm-hmm. like, best friend. <laughs> and then probably a few months later, he started contacting me about, like, wanting to, like, hang out at the cemetery and... He was doing like a YouTube channel and, you know, he was asking if he could follow us around and watch us work and stuff like that. And I, you know, I had, I had just lost my mom yeah. to COVID and I was not in the mood. I, I you know, I, uh, I definitely didn't, yeah. didn't say yes. And I didn't, I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't very receptive. I was grieving in my defense. And of course. then it was Mayflower 400 and I wanted to commemorate the only known gravestone for a Mayflower pilgrim, which is at Charter Street in Salem. But the place was closed down and then COVID and all of this. And yeah. he was going to do a video yeah. for it. So I don't know. He's always kind of just been there for me. And so when this came along and I knew that I'm not sure if he reached out to me saying I want to carve this gravestone or if I reached out to him and I said hey there's this gravestone it's missing I wonder if anyone could carve it but Mm -hmm. I don't know we have this history of kind of trying to be there for each other but missing a lot (laughs) and so it's been Uh just really fun to actually be able to do something solid with him that we can show up together and watch the results and you know, I can cheer on his work and he can cheer on my mm-hmm. my work and my advocacy. It's special. I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. kind of sappy. But to me, that's no. that's like one heck of a friendship. And I yeah, really value for it. Sure. Yeah. And if any of the listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's just really fascinating to hear Andrew's story. And he's probably mad at us right now for talking about him at all. Well, but it's <laughs> um, the Stones Over Bones 
um, interview. And so anyway, it's really, it's really great. You'll, you'll love Andrew. Well, he gets no say in the matter when, <laughs> you know, I know, right. When... when it's my podcast, I get to talk about it whenever I want. Yeah. But also when I collaborate with people, I'm so grateful to the people that I collaborate with that I literally sing their praises from the mountaintops and he's somebody I value. And sure. I, he is, I think that he won't be, I don't know. I, I don't think he likes this kind of attention, but at the same time, too bad. He's getting it. <laughs> I know. He's going to be famous. He's going to be a famous stone carver. I know it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's in good company. Speaking of famous stone carvers, I, I also love your Instagram and some of the information that you give because you come across a lot of headstones obviously and but the thing that when I started this podcast it was kind of more like I was looking at the headstones and I I mean I just love to look at you know the carvings and the symbolism and everything on them but it hadn't totally occurred to me and then maybe this is silly but it was like that there are carvers and who these people were, and that many of the same type of stones were carved by the same family or the same man. And after watching some of Andrew's videos and talking to him, I've gotten to where I can identify some of them. And I've been known to send you pictures and say, is this a Lamson family carving or? <laughs> yeah, you sure do. Could you imagine mm-hmm. if people were posting yep. Matisse paintings or Van Gogh or Picasso or Pollock uh-huh. and they were like painting, look at yeah. this painting and never saying, look at this Picasso, look at this Rembrandt. They were just like, look at this generic painting and we're going to use it on postcards and we're going to use it as our logo and we're going to use yeah. it and we're not going to ever credit the artist and we're just going to yeah, true. just generically call it a painting. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about gravestone carving is these are, these are applied arts, meaning these are useful objects that have art applied to them, but they are still art. They are. You know, these people weren't they weren't just gravestone carvers. Some of them had previous, sure. you know, occupations. John mm-hmm. Hartshorn was a weaver. You know, he he was a weaver until he was 50 and then became a gravestone carver. And, you know, these are sort of multidimensional people, kind of like me, car- you know, me fixing gravestones. I would hope that, you know, when people read about my work after I die in historical societies where we keep all of our archived material that they want to know who Rachel is. They're not just like, you know, stone fixer, human, you know, <laughs> conserving a gravestone. Cause these people were probably pretty passionate about what they did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all have a style and they all have interpersonal relationships as you were sort of alluding to, you know, we think, Oh, this is the lamps and family of carvers. This is the Hartshorn. You know, this is John Hartshorn. Here's Mulligan. Here's, Ezekiel Layton or Richard Layton mm-hmm. and they're individuals, but they're not really individuals. They learned from each other. Like John Hartshorn taught yeah. Ezekiel Layton's family. You know, they were related by marriage and, you know, taught the Mulligan's family, who I, I believe he was also related to by marriage. So, you know, we kind of look at them individually, but there's this whole woven story in with the stone carvers, the Lampsons learned from the old stone cutter. Yeah. You know, William Mumford learned from the old stone cutter. So it's, you know, people learning these crafts from each other and then making them their own. I, you can tell the stone carvers apart just because Lampson and Mumford both learned from one person. Mm-hmm. You can still tell their style, even though they're very similar. True. You know, it's complicated. It isn't. I, I always said that I won't feel like a success in this industry until, you know, a handful of people at least can go into a cemetery and go, that's a Mulligan, that's a Layton, that's a Hartshorn, that's a Lampson, that's, <laughs> you know, that's Codner over there. Look at that. That's noise. You know, I mean, I don't know every, yeah. I don't know every gravestone carver in the United States, but I certainly know the ones in Essex County right. and sure. they're our earliest, they're our earliest 
artists. I mean, apart, of course, yeah. from the indigenous people who who lived in this land for 12,000 sure. years before them. So that's an ignorant thing for right. me to say. But they're our earliest, uh, you know, settlers. European settler <laughs> yeah. art. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I, and I love seeing kind of the different, you know, motifs that they go with. But those same things that you can go, look, you know, it's just so exciting when you can you can spot that that's the artist. And so that's kind of a newer, you know, thing just the last year or so that I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it seems like that should just be oh. kind of something that maybe you should think of, but it's that's newer for me. I mean, it's your jam, yeah. Lachelle. It's like you turn on the radio, you hear a song you know, you start bopping to it, you know all the words. It's like your favorite because you're familiar with it. Yeah. You know, I feel that way about these carvers. They're familiar to me. Yeah. In a way that they're not familiar to other people, probably. And, you know, yeah. this is my favorite song and it happens to be Lampson's song or it happens <laughs> to be, you know what I mean? Like the old stone these, are, these are people. Yeah. It's familiarity, right? Sure. You, you love the things you're familiar with. And yeah. I, I don't think people have been allowed to really get familiar with stone carvers because people haven't culturally allowed themselves to get familiar with death. Yeah. And so we've cut, we've totally pushed out this entire genre of art just because of our own fears about our own mortality. And you're so right. You know, I think we're starting to look at our mortality. I mean, we're looking at our mortality head on now because we've lost a lot of people and hopefully that means that we're also looking at the art of the people who express our inevitable mortality in a more open and appreciative fashion too true and i and i think too as you go to older cemeteries it becomes more apparent because if you're in newer cemeteries you're seeing so many you know where it's done by laser or however they you know, do them now. And so learning the history of headstones has really helped me as I go to older cemeteries that I can look at and be like, wow, look at the carving on this. And it's 300 years old and has been out in the weather all this time and looks still how crisp or, you know, you can see the little score lines that they put down first so then they could carve out the words and I just love it but of course everybody knows how I feel about cemeteries and <laughs> the stones so yeah but you're seeing you're seeing the artist's hand mm -hmm. right yeah you're not you're not seeing a laser cutting into a stone you're seeing yeah the humanity the human error the human you know, whatever, the perfection of these. I think you would lose your mind if you were in my position where you actually sometimes have to take very old gravestones out of the ground to reset them and see an entire universe of practice carvings, signatures, prices. Wow. All kinds of stuff exists below the ground that most people don't mm -hmm. see. I try to post some of the things that I find that are below ground on gravestones on Facebook so that people can see them. But I mean, there is a gravestone here in Ipswich. It's just a footstone, a tiny little thing. It says SS on it. I want to say it's sure. like, I don't dare to remember the name. I don't want to say it wrong. I don't want to be haunted. <laughs> so, but if you were to take this tiny little footstone out of the ground, you would see it says heart, heart shorn, shorn, S, H. And it has like yeah. a bunch of, and you're like, oh, I wonder yeah. who carved this. You know, it's clearly, clearly John Hartshorn, right? And, and you're like, but it's not, uh, they're not practicing the name of SS, who I think the last name is Stacy. Um, but they're not practicing that name. They're sitting there. In, I'm guessing it might be an apprentice or somebody sharpening their tools. You know, some of this is apprentice work where, mm -hmm. you know, this material is precious it costs money and we didn't have a lot of money back then and you know we're going to use this side for practicing letters and then we'll use this side to actually create the gravestone and it's not all of them they don't all have practice carvings but a lot of them do and when you unearth one that does it's like it's like you're 
instantly transported mm -hmm. into the room of this carver who's, you know, practicing these strange, right. you know, techniques on the bottom of a gravestone. It's fantastic to be privy to that. Yeah, how cool. I just, I love what you do. And I, I just was like, oh, I just really want to talk to you. And so I just think it's amazing what you shared with us. And um, I'm sure you have many, many stories. We'll have you guys back. We'll have Josh. I have many questions. I have your own. I have my own questions for you, Lachelle. You do. So we're gonna have we're gonna have to turn the table one of these days and talk about <laughs> what it's like to have. I have questions about. Oh, oh my goodness! Shoot me a question. Arizona. Some. Oh man, have you heard of that disease? <laughs> have you heard of that disease that lives? It's like a fungus that lives in the soil in Arizona that people like archaeologists get. This I think it's called Valley Fever. Oh yeah. 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 So conservators have to be like super careful in Arizona because it, this valley fever fungus, I believe it's a fungus, lives in the soil. Sure. My nephew had valley fever. Like it's a it's a real thing. Yeah. So how do you live in a place that's full of scorpion snakes and valley fever is really my question. And how does that affect how you how you go through the cemeteries there? You must have to be constantly vigilant. Yeah, that is for sure. We went to... Jerome, Arizona. A lot of people have heard of Jerome. It's a ghost town, basically. But now it's kind of making a resurgence. And there's a lot of little restaurants and shops and people go and take ghost tours. And we've done an episode about our trip to Jerome. But it was a little terrifying because it was just cactus and mesquite trees and bushes and low-lying grasses and I'm like this place is so snaky you know I was yeah. so scared of snakes and it was even beginning of October so I was a little bit you know I felt a little bit better but you know it was a nice day and if it's sunny out like there can totally be rattlesnakes you know yeah anywhere sunning themselves and so yeah, you just have to really watch where you are walking and especially where you are putting your hands. And so if you want to move some grasses or anything to see lettering or to see more of a headstone, like you got to really be careful what you're doing and make sure that there really isn't anything there. I mean, just working on our own family headstones, um, we're in Southeast Arizona. We've totally unearthed scorpions like pulling out you know the flowers from last year and so it's like you, we wear gloves and yeah you just have to really be vigilant I mean my daughter and I have joked about like Arizona it's a place where everything is prickly and spiky and wants to kill you you know yeah I mean that's how I see Arizona yeah. like Josh is from Phoenix yeah and he tells me all I mean he repairs gravestones here he says he's actually never really been into a cemetery in Arizona and I have of course a million questions like what about like there must be Native American indigenous burying grounds there like there must be all kinds of stuff that we don't have here I would imagine sure you know yeah I can't say that I've been really to like a Navajo cemetery and um we we drive through the reservation at different times and there there definitely are some so uh, there's probably more that I can learn about some of the older, you know, cemeteries in Arizona and more about indigenous um, burial practices and that kind of thing. But um, Oh, I'd love to see photos. If you ever do wander in and, sure. and notice anything sure. being different, I'd love to I'd love to know more about how they're memorializing their dead and what kind what do they choose to put on gravestones are they mm -hmm. like here we have so this was um agawam where i live and we had a lady who lived mm -hmm. here who was a direct descendant of massasoit who was um the sachem that was met by the mayflower and she has a gravestone here and she has a teepee on it which isn't mm. here we wouldn't have teepees we'd have wee twos we have wigwams not teepees but I'd be interested in knowing what symbolism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is on the gravestones in these burying places. Right. Well, even in our cemetery here, I mean, I'm up in northern Arizona, 
And so we are very close to both Hopi and Navajo lands. And so I did an episode about the Navajo code talkers that helped save everything in World War II. Yeah, you should really listen to my podcast, Rachel. You know, I will know that it's the winter. I know, I'm the worst. I'm I'm just teasing. But you're not. You shouldn't tease because it's true. I should listen to your podcast. (laughs) <laughs> but look, yeah, I, have, I, have, I, I have it all to look forward to. It's when you you never saw Game of Thrones, right? And then you watch all eight seasons at once. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You could start at the beginning. Oh, anyway, I'm a tease. But yeah, there were a lot of symbols and things that, you know, are part of their cultures that definitely were on their headstones. A lot of photos. We have a lot of um, veterans that are indigenous people. And and so, yeah, they're definitely, you know, even some in the cemetery here locally for me. But yeah, it's beautiful. I, I just love learning about the different cultures and the different histories. And, and I try to bring that by an individual's story yeah you know if I can give you the story of one family or one person or you know and kind of what they went through whether they were pioneers you know to Arizona or you know back in Savannah did you ever do anything on like the original so when was I know that I know that Arizona became a state on Valentine's Day because Josh tells me this every single year. <laughs> yeah. That I should be getting him an Arizona State Day present instead. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah. In uh, but, yeah, the 50s, for sure. 1950? 19, yeah. 1912. Oh. So, is where we became a state. <clears throat> yeah. So, oh, I thought it was much more there's recent. There's definitely graves from the territory days of Arizona. And yeah, I've talked about some of those as well. And I, I mean, I just have files and written down, like I just have so many more stories because of course there's as many stories as many people have lived. And, oh, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear a story about making do. So there was like a, there was definitely a making do period here in New England where people didn't have stone carvers. They didn't have resources. They didn't really know how to mine stone. So they were just taking field stone they found on the ground and putting it upright and calling that a gravestone. Or they were taking wood and making things. I'd love to a whole podcast about making do in America. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, before yeah. these resources even existed, what, what, how did they make do in settler days in Arizona? How did it differ from how they made do in New England? Or, you know? kind of a cool topic. Yeah, I should totally, I love that idea. Making yeah, do totally in America. That. Making do in America. I love it. I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. I'm right like all it. over that. I'll listen to that one. Yeah. I'll, I'll have you, I'll have you back to be my co-host. And I love we, it. We can work on that. I heard that Josh was upset that he wasn't on the podcast. So I apologize to Josh. We'll, we'll have him. We'll have Josh. <laughs> Yes. You should just do it with Josh without me. I bet you, you would go. have a lot to talk about both being from Arizona. Right. Yeah. And it would, it would be a whole different take probably on your work. You know, it'd be a different episode, even talking about the same, yep. you know, things and what you guys have done from a different approach. But yeah, hearing his, yeah, hearing his accent come out, which has all but disappeared. You know, <laughs> people from Arizona don't think they have an accent, but they do. I'm like, what? <laughs> Oh, no, you have an hilarious. accent. I know what I'm talking. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Just different parts of the country. Yeah. We do have some different accents. I was just going to make a note about, you know, if you hear like traffic going by during the episode, it's because Rachel lives in an amazing, like old, old house. Yeah. 1715. 1715 and you're recording right now in a stairway right so you're trying to (laughs) trying to get away from windows and doors and everything so I'm doing my best 
I'm recording as our ancestors would have. In a, <laughs> in, in, sort of. In a back hovel. <laughs> yeah, if our ancestors did a podcast, it would be right in this corner. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Uh, but I just love that that you're in, I have always loved old houses. I love the architecture. I just love old things. I mean, I love antique stores. I love history. So it all makes sense, I guess, that I, yes. I love cemeteries the way I do. And, and that's why I loved your story and your business. Um, yeah. I just really appreciate what you're doing and think it is really important. Well, thank you, Lachelle. And thanks for bringing our work to people and you know, helping them love sure. cemeteries even more than they already do. Yeah, I hope that I've I've made some taphophiles along the way. So, well, thank you, Rachel. Thanks, Lachelle. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you too. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners. 